would you consider running a summer camp and Lynn and I can send our children? Yeah, can we you? just <laughs> put them in a, yeah, we'll put them in a FedEx truck. And, well, uh, yeah. Coming to you from Minneapolis, Minnesota. A conversation about the great and sometimes not so great outdoors. I'm your host, Lynn Melling. And I'm Jody Gruen. And we do this for fun. Jody, and we are here today with my new friend, my new dear friend from New Mexico, Caroline Sunderland. Um, And I'm going to just not even let her speak yet because I have to explain how this woman came into my life. Um, It basically was through stalking on my part of her. (laughs) One of your specialties, Jody. One of my specialties. How do I meet her? How do I meet her? Because I was, and my husband and I were equally kind of stalking her, but for different reasons. Me for seeing this woman in the wilderness on her own with this badass truck and this cool camping gear and like a computer and a a beautiful camera and doing all of this stuff. Wait, so you saw her from afar? She she was in the campsite next to us. Okay. While you were in New Mexico. While we were in New Mexico. Okay. Bandelier National Monument. Everyone should go. It's so beautiful. Anyway, she's there and I am just like in awe, just sort of spying on her. Um, She probably didn't notice us at all, except for maybe our screaming children. And I kind of had to work up the courage the next day to go over and talk to her. But sadly, my husband had gotten to her first. Uh Um, But I was like, you know what? I know that he's not talking about the stuff I would talk about. I know he's definitely talking about that truck and gear. (laughs) gear. (laughs) I don't want to talk to her about that. I want to talk to her about her and why she's out here and how she's doing this on her own. Because I was so inspired just seeing her out there. And that's why I wanted to kind of start this. Is like, yes. thank so, you, okay, Carolyn, so for another, being an inspiration. Huge. Another another amazing friend that you met in a campground just randomly. Yes, yes. Gosh, this is the place. I, you're both of you right here. Yes, this is my the two, place where you meet your life's best friends, yes, everyone. exactly. So with that, Carolyn, I will allow you to speak. Hello. Oh, welcome to We Hi, Do This Lynn. For Fun. <laughs> Hi, Lynn. Hi, Jody. Thank you for having me. This is so exciting. So, okay. I was reading through, so she sent us like a list of all of the cool things that she's done in her lifetime. And there's no way we're going to be able to get to cover it all because it's just so cool. But, um, I don't know, where do you, what, so of all of this, I'm just going to put it to you of all the cool things that you've done in your life, <laughs> what would you say is the coolest thing? Like you've lived all over the place, you've lived all over, you've camped. So where do you want to start by talking about what you do for fun. Wow. Uh, what, what a prompt. Um, I was, I, I'm really pleased with everything that I've done in my life from the different jobs that I've had. Um, but just to kind of briefly introduce myself and why did Jody thinks I'm so cool. Um, probably the reason why my life is interesting is because I'm married to a park ranger. So, and my husband has been in the National Park Service for about 10 years. So we have lived in lots of different national parks, some in the Southeast. And then, um, let's see, now we're in the Southwest. We've been in the Rocky Mountains and the Pacific Northwest. And we've also so had an opportunity, cool. yeah, to meet a lot of cool people who, like us, move around a lot. And um, I have a kind of, right, right now I'm uh, taking care of my kids, but 
usually, I guess, I don't want to call it a day job because I'm not doing it as a day job, but like <laughs> I am trained to be a historian and so and a museum educator. So I have gotten random museum jobs, places we've gone, or I even when we were at Rocky Mountain National Park, I got to be a park ranger for a little bit, which was really fun as well. And so I, but I also just to talk about the the truck and the gear and the camping that Jody that has attracted Jody and her husband. <laughs> um, we also have a business with my husband's brother based out of Boise, Idaho, um, called Talus Expedition Gear, where he makes these um, truck bed inserts. And I encourage everyone to uh, either look us up on Instagram or Facebook at Talus Gear or Talus Expedition Gear or our website, talusgear.com to get a visual, but just to give you a quick description so we know kind of what we're talking about. Imagine a box that sits below the bed rails of a truck and behind the tailgate. And on one side, there's a whole drawer you pull out on sliders where you can put all of your stuff and keep it all organized and accessible. Um, it makes that whole truck bed accessible, like the yeah. whole left side of your mm-hmm. truck bed. Um, so you're not climbing in and digging. And then on the right side, you pull it out. You can open a uh, cover to the kitchen where you can access a sink and a stove with running water in, a, in your truck bed, in your it's truck. So bed. cool. And yeah. it's and so cool. There's a, that sounds amazing. Out. There's yeah. a refrigerator drawer on the front. Um, there's utility drawers on the side. So you can keep all your little forks and knives. I have like spices and all of that just lives in the truck. Um, all my favorite utensils, spatulas, all that. And then there's also electric outlets on the front. Um, so you can, charge your phone, computer, run an electronic device. And then there's water input and output on the side. There's propane compartments. So you can ride oh with your gosh. propane, you know, that hookup stuff you have to do when you get to camp. So really when I, this is like and, a new definition of car camping, yeah. Yes, yeah. which yeah. I adore car yes. camping. That yeah. is my jam. <laughs> this and sounds have, like my speed. Mm-hmm. Right. So then we have a rooftop tent. So then I just have a little tent on top of the a rack on top of the box that opens like a book, basically, you know, unzip open like a big old trapper keeper, you know, sorry, that's a really bad way to describe a rooftop. But tent, it also but looked like it was really easy was for so you easy. to, yeah, like so that was easy. so cool to see too. Yeah. Really easy to set up. And then there's a foam mattress on the inside. So I have a nice, comfortable, nice. I sleep. love this so much. Okay. How do you, so you, how do you spell it? T A. T-A-L-U-S-G-E-A-R.com. So encourage you to get a visual, but that was the rig that I had. um, And it is so much fun. It (laughs) has led to just so many great opportunities of getting outside, being able to access places and camp above tree line where your average two wheel drive vehicle can go because it uses the four by four capacity of your truck to get to really remote spaces and then have everything you need. But I also love it as a daily use vehicle, you know, so I, we go to the park and I've already got cheese sticks and yogurts and applesauce. (gasps) Okay. So I just have to pause because as, so as someone who is like, clearly like you are, you have the DNA to go off and do backpacking and whatever and all the things, but you are fully embracing car camping, which Again, like I, I think sometimes people poo poo car camping and that bugs me because I love car camping. And yeah. so I find it so refreshing that somebody who, somebody with in yours, you know, that's, I, you know, we could hold you in very high esteem for all of your camping background, but you choose to car camp. I love this. Yeah. And I would say car camping is something that I didn't experience until 
I married my husband. We tried, he grew up car camping and I grew up, not, I wouldn't say grew up because my family did not camp backpack. We just went to the beach. That was fun. That was enough. Um, I got into it in high school with an outdoors club that was really good for me. Um, and that's, and we just did backpacking, you backpack into places where you would go rock climbing or sea hiking or caving. It was this great opportunity for, to get high schoolers outside. And I would say that's how I got into it and learned a lot of stuff. And they didn't, there was no curriculum of survival skills. Everything we learned was just whatever we learned out there, but it was, I'd say that's what got me interested. So I really haven't been doing this that long. And like I said, haven't, I've only been car camping for couple of years, really. <laughs> huh? Yeah. I love to, the way that you were talking about, you know, taking your rig and making it part of your daily life and your daily use. I remember yeah. you talking very specifically about how amazing that was for you for COVID, that you could go yes. to a park, have this vehicle that had everything that you needed and you could just be somewhere for the day. Plus you could work while the kids were playing. And because you had this this vehicle that just like gave you so much freedom yeah, (laughs) at a time that most of us didn't feel much freedom. Right. Yeah. You're stuck in your house, but your house is on wheels. So you can go. (laughs) So lucky. (laughs) I haven't live in it yet for, for months and months on end, but (laughs) you really could, if you wanted to, if you wanted to totally live out of your truck. Yeah. And live outside really. Cause it's not like a truck camper that keeps you all enclosed or even like a sprinter, you know, um, decked out sprinter van would like, you don't live inside. You kind of live outside. Huh? Another question I have, this is not related now to the vehicle, but it is another mode of transportation and outdoors and going back to like the historian in you, this idea of the paddleboard <gasps> tour. Oh, I need to know more about this. I'm it's, okay. I'm obsessed with paddleboarding. Yeah. Just to preface, Minnesotans love paddleboarding because we it's have so here. many lakes. Like this is a thing up here. So that um, is the I one thing that, I know about people from Minnesota. Yeah, uh-huh. is you guys love your water. That's great. We do love um, our water. No, this is when we lived in Chattanooga, Tennessee, which is situated right on the Tennessee River, and. Our, I worked for the Chattanooga History Center at the time. We were building a new museum, so a lot of our programs had to take place outside in forms of walking tours. And I had typically done tours for kids. Like, I did all the school stuff. And then it came time for me to do an adult tour, you know, for adults. <laughs> <laughs> and this was a huge step for a 25-year-old. I don't know. It wasn't really, but it, it felt like it at the time. And I was so nervous about trying to step into the shoes of doing a walking tour for adults um, because I worked for a historian who held a lot of uh, historical authority. And I was so scared that he was going to come on my tour and <laughs> think I was horrible. So I said, I will go to the water. And he will not come out. So no, I I came with this idea. I went paddleboarding with a friend for the very first time ever, and then thought I could do a tour on this. That is awesome. um, I could basically take my my walking tour, which takes place on the riverfront and over a pedestrian pedestrian bridge that goes across the water. And I was like, this just offers such a unique perspective based on everything that has revolved around this river, and so. I created a whole tour around it and advertised stand-up paddleboard tours. Did it. I think when I presented it to my boss, they're like, what if you fall in? I was like, I just won't. 
<laughs> or you just swim or you just and you back up on it. it. Yeah. I had to have a microphone on me. So I had to be oh. very careful. Like I couldn't fall in. I have a, like, okay. a fanny pack microphone. And um, I just told myself, don't fall in, don't fall in, you know, and yeah. I just get down on my knees if I had to, if I thought I was going to fall and I never did. Um, and that evolved into kayak tours, partnering with the city's parks and rec department to do the same thing in kayak. What a unique so idea. And I loved it because I got to bridge academic interests with outdoor interests. So folks who love to paddleboard or kayak got to learn a little bit of history and mm-hmm. just absolute nerds could get out on the water and learn something new as well. So yeah, you're totally meeting people where they are and bringing yeah. new audiences to both areas. Yeah. And I did a little bit of, I did some kayak tours when we lived in the Pacific Northwest as well. We did bioluminescent kayak tours and I did some science and natural history, uh, the time of the year when the bioluminescent plankton was really active. Okay. Wait, sorry. What? 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 Oh, (laughs) have you not seen this? Bioluminous? What? so cool. Yeah. At certain times of the, usually when it's really hot in the summer in the Hood Canal, a lot of bioluminescent plankton gets stuck in the main canal part. Are these fish? Is that what we're talking about? They are, they're teeny tiny. So imagine, and it's not really lightning bugs. It's more like if it was a glow in the dark goo or something that you put in the water and you activate with your paddle and they light up similar. Like, I mean, a lightning bug is bioluminescent. You see the swoosh like coming through the water, like lightning coming through the water. It just, and this is in, this is in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. This happens in Washington. Okay. So that was really fun as well. Like yeah. these water-based tours. So you've lived all over. Okay. So, so walk us through. So you lived in, you grew up in Georgia. Yes. Grew up in Georgia in the suburbs, not doing anything cooler outdoors for the most part. Um, then, oh, we got married and we moved to Uray, Colorado, where my husband grew up uh, in the San Juan mountains. And that was just like a fun year to get on our feet. But then he got a job with the national park service um, back in Chattanooga, Tennessee at Chickamauga and Chattanooga National Military Park. From there, we went to Rocky Mountain National Park, Fluorescent Fossil Beds, which is near Colorado Springs, then Olympic National Park, now Bandelier. Wow. Yeah. So do you have a favorite? What's been your favorite stop on the tour so far? I love or is that a hard question? For yeah. very different reasons. And I've it's so hard because I've met so many incredible people have had unbelievable opportunities. I mean, I just love everywhere we live. I feel like I wake up in the morning, drink my coffee and look to my husband and say, we live in a beautiful place. Like it is just always beautiful. That's the one thing I can count on. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think our, our, our season at Rocky mountain was just really special in life in general. Um, and that, you know, it was that time right before we had kids and made this big jump and this big move. And, uh, we got to be park rangers together and it was so fast paced and just so much fun. I don't want to call it my favorite. I want to call it just my most special time of life. I love it. So what do you think you have learned? I mean, you've gained such a unique perspective living within national parks Is there something that you have learned from that or like a perspective that you now have that people who didn't, who've never had that opportunity 
wouldn't have that kind of a perspective. I would just, I, I, you've got to know some secrets or have had some sort of like aha moments while you're living in national parks. Yeah, I think it has taught me to see more continuity between my outdoor adventurous self and my home life. And part of that just comes with physically like living in the space or very close by and, or, you know, just going to visit my husband at work and it's absolutely gorgeous, you know, (laughs) Um, but to, I guess, see more of a flow and look for opportunities, particularly during those seasons where I'm not just like living from adventure to adventure, like having little babies or um, having health issues, like just seeing and appreciating small bits of continuity and adventure in everyday life. And I have, I mean, I have, I I don't feel like I know many secrets, (laughs) Um, but there, there are things like, you know, you go on a hike in the national park and see like, someone with a dog off the leash and you're like, Oh, they're breaking the rules. This isn't fun anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kind of thinking, or like, like little, like behind the scenes things, you're like, Oh, there's trash on trail. I better pick it up. You know, like I'm kind of, you're kind of always at work when everyone else is on vacation. Um, but it never gets old. I mean, the views and everything, I still look up at the mountains and awe, you know, (laughs) I have a question about secrets twofold. Let's start with like one, like, morale mushrooms or something like that do you know like where those places are you know like where there's like those secret stash of like the crazy or like there's the mushrooms you know the things that like people Mm -hmm. go foraging for that everybody's looking for like those kind of secrets and then if a sadly don't know that secrets okay all right all right that's one that i I really like to know where that those um i think she's holding back on us you guys no i know know. like i know like (laughs) where certain herds of deer or elk are Okay. I mean, at any given time, like I just see them throughout the year. Um, and I, I, so, so if like, if if someone asked me like, where can I see some elk in this park? That's a good secret. Yeah. That's a good secret. Yeah. I I can tell them like, here's where you're most likely to see this, but that's, I'm not an elk whisperer or anything. And (laughs) (laughs) And that comes with lots of time and experience and and seeing them in lots of places. That's probably it. All right. Okay, my second question is more like it's not it's like you have backstage access to park management and park rangers. And I'm just wondering about like gossip and the things oh, they talk yes. about yes. like about us, like Lynn and I coming yes. and like, oh God, or like, oh my gosh, can you believe that? Or like, oh, they're look at them, they're trying, or you know, some of that kind of stuff. I'm curious. You know, it I wouldn't say that that comes up as much. I'm trying to think ranger shop talk, you know, mm-hmm. it's sometimes it, I, you know, I, I, it's not that, uh, elusive. Okay. <laughs> I mean, sometimes it's like, Oh, I got a silly question. I'm trying to even think of some good examples of silly, like visitor questions that are silly. Um, but it's, it's not even that bad. It's like, you know, I hear them all the time and now I can't think of any. Yeah. Um, we, I actually had it. So I lived in Alaska for a while and did some stories up in Denali national park. And one of the bus drivers told me that the stupidest question he ever got was what do they do with the animals in the winter time? And yes. his response okay. was coming to me now. He said, they take, they send them to the San Diego zoo and this woman <laughs> believed him and he got in trouble for it. And I thought that's just the cleverest response. 
Yeah. I, let's see. So, like what time do you turn off the waterfalls? Is no, um, no, for real. Yeah, oh. uh, what, uh, what time is it going to rain? Like, and you don't know, you know, like, cause it's like, I just don't, I don't know, especially up in the mountain. Right. Um, uh, oh, at what, what elevation do deer turn into elk? Oh, <laughs> oh bless their hearts. Oh, it's like turning into a werewolf. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's just like, people don't know the difference between like a zoo or Disney. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's um, such a great yeah, yeah parallel. No, and that that's kind of stuff is just rampant everywhere, I feel like. Or or um or thinking that you can approach a bison like you can some an animal at a petting zoo. Yeah. Um, or an so, elk that way. I was so to kind of elaborate then yeah, to take that a little bit further, what so what can we do so we're cool people? Like what would yeah. you you know, so we don't end up and cause I know, yeah, Jody and I were, we're still learning the ropes. So what can we do to be the cool people at the campground in the national park where the, we know that we're going to be cool with the camp, the park yeah. ranger, and they're going to like us and, you know, maybe want to have a beer with us. Oh, <laughs> um, I will say there are also like park visitors are absolutely incredible. I mean, like I, I have met so many park visitors that for example, I would love to have a beer with, or just have incredible stories or are great about, um, making sure that they're picking up trash, et cetera. Like, I mean, park visitors are wonderful people. So what can you do to be, and see, I can give you like a list of, of rules basically, but, um, I'm not entirely sure like where you're coming from with this. Oh, just, we just want to be cool. Like that's really all we're, we're after. We just like want to be mean, considered we, like, like, I mean, so for example, we always make sure that we've got our card up at our campsite and that mm-hmm. it's legit yep. and we've paid and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and that we leave on time. Yeah. Leaving, leaving on time. time. Smile and wave when the park ranger yeah. comes by. Like, I mean, generally leave no trace principles. Yeah. Clean your campsite. Don't leave a bunch of trash in the Don't leave a bunch of trash. Ring, right? Uh, understanding where you are is important. I feel like a lot of, uh, and, I, and I know that sounds kind of ridiculous, but sometimes people don't know the different public land jurisdictions and what the rules are in each one. Oh, so like there's sure. the Bureau of Land Management, uh, the National Forest Service, and the National Park Service. And those are all different like levels of federal land management. But then also you could be camping in a state park or a county park or... And they all have different rules for what you can do. And I feel like the National Park Service is the most strict because of its conservation mission and it's because of the National Park Service's mandate. And so, for example, you can't bring in outside firewood to burn in Mm. some national parks because you could introduce invasive species of bugs, tree, or like if you were to burn that uh, wood into the air, like what, what would it do to the area around it. Whereas, or, or you can't pick up things, you know, I don't know if you notice Jody near our campsite, I think there's a sign that says like, do not collect wood in yes. a national park. Yeah. So that is also just because we leave everything where it is. You can't pick the wildflowers. You can't, you know, they, like, but you can a national forest or dogs have to be in designated areas, usually on in paved areas on trails. And sometimes they're not allowed on trails, but they are a national forest land. Hmm. And that's to protect the wildlife in an, in a national park and also to protect your animal. And that's just one example. Like, and 
I know it's a lot of rules and a lot of things to kind of keep track of, but I, and I've just had to learn, you know, like these are national park rules. These are national forest rules. That's so fascinating. I had no idea that there was a difference. Yeah. There is a difference. And, um, so say people don't know where they are. Like sometimes people don't know they're in a national park. Um, and that can sometimes be tedious to explain, but, uh, and that's sometimes often why people break the rules is they just don't know where they are or Mm -hmm. even know what the rules are. Sure. And which is why it's really easy to explain as a ranger, you know, and pretty easy to warn. Um, and you can find rules and where you can go, you know, just look at the campsite you're going to or where you plan on hiking and make sure that you're aware where you are and what the rules are. So that's really good advice because when we yeah, were in New yeah. Mexico at Bandelier, we started walking to um, the Kate or the cliff dwellings and mm-hmm. on the path, we didn't see any signs that dogs weren't allowed until we got to the cliff dwellings, but there was nothing there. And all of a sudden we have our dog in this place that the dog isn't supposed to be. And there was no one else with it. I mean, it was just mm-hmm. a thing that we hadn't ever come across before, but I, we definitely paid attention and noticed that we were the only people and that we were breaking the rules and had to go back and drop the dog and then go back and hike again and stuff. But yeah, yeah, it's a good point. And it's definitely worth noting. That's pretty common, I'd say. And I I will say sometimes near national parks, there's like doggy daycare or like doggy overnight camp, you know, because of not a lot of national parks, or sometimes it's just easier with your dog to camp on national forest or BLM. Hmm. Interesting. That if you really wanted to run around. So, yeah. Is that a, like a thing where people really want their dog? I mean, I have a small dog that we just, you know, walk ourselves and whatever, but do, is that like a requirement for some people that they want their dog to be able to run freely? If you have a, a service animal, like you can, oh. oh, I'm sorry. No, you're asking about, yeah, because some people do want their dog to run freely. Um, okay. no, like and service animals are allowed. Like if you, okay. um, if you classify it as such and, and carry proper documentation, like that's, that is okay. But really it is because of the wildlife that you might encounter. <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah. You don't want yeah. your dog getting eaten by a bear and, or something. Um, yeah. yeah. And people unfortunately do sometimes think it's okay to let their dog off leash because it's what they do in their backyard or they mm-hmm. think that their dog is trained or tame. Mm-hmm. And, or stays right beside them. But also you don't know what your dog does near a bison, you right. know? Mm-hmm. Yes. Right, because they've yes. never met before. Yes. Yeah, or, or, no, or a mountain lion, or mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's just the reality. This is good. People love their dogs, and people bring their they dogs do. everywhere. And they I do. think, mm-hmm. I think actually, there's probably a lot of questions around that. So this yeah. is great. Thank yeah. you for. So, and on the topic of dogs, so let's talk kids. <laughs> So you have two kids. How old are they? I have two toddlers. They are two and three and a half. Oh, bless your heart. So how do you manage to live in these cool exotic places with toddlers? How has that changed how you view your lifestyle? I mean, how's that changed you? How has it changed? Well, I mean, beyond like, I guess normal, you know, obviously it changes you, but like living in a park perspective. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's always been there. I feel like, you know, the park came before the children. So like the park service. And I will say it is very difficult. A lot of families in the park service either uh, do not have children or, um, you know, they only live in certain areas because you used, I mean, everyone cares about things like schools and uh, uh, 
having access to community and amenities and other children. And so that's one of the attractions of where we are now, but it's totally doable. I mean, I know super cool people who have like had two kids in Yellowstone in a cabin that you have to snowmobile to. So if you can imagine going, wow. <laughs> no, I can't imagine that. I, will whole, never. <laughs> I, I have no idea how some do it, but, um, it's a really cool life for little kids, I think. And, um, it's been really fun to teach them how to hike. And, and what's great about living in national park is everything's no pressure. It's like, we're going to do this little loop, you know? And, um, uh, I am at the age now where I have to tell my two-year-old daughter not to pick flowers everywhere or mm. pick up sticks everywhere. It is the heart. And I will say when Rangers train, they sometimes do scenarios and, I was at a park once where one of the scenario is tell a three-year-old girl she had, she can't take her flowers home. And it was the hardest one. (laughs) It is so hard. Oh, just Uh heartbreaking. Uh, By the way, the answer is, can I trade you for a sticker? You know, kind of. Ah, (laughs) That's a good one. Win-win. I sometimes I carry like little stickers with me or little, so it's like, here, I need to trade you. You can't take that. Um, And I feel an extra burden to uh, impress this upon her that when she's in a national park, she leaves um, plants and rocks and sticks where they are. Um, what do you think your kids are going to get from this experience? Having you as their mom, your husband as their dad, different, you know, and and given your lifestyle, what's going to be different about them as they grow up into this world and what will, or what do you hope they bring? That's an excellent question. And I think I want the same thing for my kids that everyone else does. I want them to be exposed to a lot of ideas and opportunities. Um, I want them to learn how to be safe uh, in their natural surroundings. And I think for my kids, that's more talking about rattlesnakes and mountain lions Mm -hmm. and scorpions. Unfortunately, I have to have the scorpion talk soon, you know, or fire ants. Um, (laughs) People have fire ants everywhere, but uh, (laughs) I didn't have them in Washington. There's a whole new host of species that I have to talk to them about. Um, And uh, hunger for, for learning. And I I think they're, they're really going to get that here. Um, you know, with my background in museums, I think of everything really hands-on. I turn everything into an educational opportunity. And so just a simple little walk on the trail turns into like pop-up science class. And even though I don't know that much or or history, um, right now I just love telling them little things as they ask and and listening to them ask questions. Um, But I, I really hope they appreciate it. Would you consider running a summer camp and Lynn and I can send our children? Yeah, I can we you? just do, put them in a, yeah, we'll put them in a FedEx truck. And, well, uh, yeah, um, <laughs> we'll pay you. <laughs> All right. Well, so That'll I think we are getting to about to the time we have to take a quick break. So we're going to take a really quick break and then we come back. Our top tip We Do This For Fun is supported by 515 Productions, a high-end video production business based in Minneapolis. The website is 515productions.com. And did you know that Jodi is also a health and wellness coach? Check out her website at jodygruen.com. If you like this podcast, we'd love your support. Please rate and review us and hit subscribe. Learn more about us at wedothisforfun.com.
We are back with Caroline Sunderland, who has lived in so many cool places and had so, so many great life experiences. So we're dying to know all this wealth of knowledge that you have. What is your top tip? This is a great prompt. And I thought of a lot of things, but I would say my top tip um, for anyone who wants to start getting outside and camping regularly or, or spending more time in the backcountry and out of cell service is to have a communication plan. Oh. And I say this as a person who is really bad at planning and loves being spontaneous and loves just taking wherever the wilderness takes me. But this is really the most important thing. And I think it could also help quelch some of the fears, particularly that women have about getting outside and spending time in the backcountry by themselves is having a communication plan. And just to talk about it a little bit, um, first of all, when rangers go out and do backcountry patrols, they have lots of gear with them, pretty normal gear with them, actually, like what everyone would have in the backcountry. But their most important piece of gear is their radio. And they get to talk to dispatch and um, tell them where they are. Dispatch can do status checks on them, which is just like, Hmm. are you okay? And you can talk to them. And I understand not everyone has that opportunity. Dispatch would get really overwhelming if that happened. But when before I go camping or backpacking or anything by myself, um, or even with my husband, we we have a communication plan. And sometimes we call his parents who are seven hours away, you know, <laughs> um, like this is our plan. This is where we are. This is when we'll be back. So I would say if you to put it in, I say put it in writing because your reporting party, whether it be your partner or a neighbor, a friend, um, or your parents who live 20 hours away, it doesn't matter. Um, it can also give them a lot of comfort because when you, they, they, it's also going to be the person who worries about you the most and yeah. they are um, going to want to, well, sh- sh- is something wrong? Like, is, and they don't know when and what to do and who to call. And sometimes making that call to the ranger office or 911 or whoever you need to call when you're overdue um, is, is just a really hard step to kind of even admit where you are as a reporting party. And so having a plan is really helpful knowing where you're hiking and where you're going um, and communicating that if you, so I, I mean, just for example, the quick plan that I texted my husband, I said, I'm going up this forest service road and I'm going to camp. I, if I diverge from this plan, this is what I'm doing, you know? So, and I said, I'm going to look for water so I can photograph this, you know? Um, so that's what I'm doing if I'm diverging from this plan. Um, and this is when I'll be back. And, or you'll, I'll be back in self-service by 10 AM, you know, and are a kind of rule, not rule, but, um, typically like, and this is what I know from the back end of like how we do search and rescues. And this is what I did. A, this came up a lot, um, it, at Rocky mountain. So I was sometimes the ranger that someone would report to. And so, um, you find out a little bit who they are. So always make sure your reporting party knows what you're wearing. You know, you can text mm. picture of what you're wearing or, yeah. or what your gear yeah. looks like. Um, if they know how much water you have, or if you have a filter with you, if you, you need to make sure you're prepared because that can help rangers assess like, okay, this person has no water. We got to go after them. And I'm not having this conversation to scare anyone. Like it's a, it's a really good, yeah, um, uh, yeah it no, it's, doesn't it's super important. And it's been helpful to, for me to see so many search and rescues turn out so well, you know, um, yeah. even though sometimes some of them are quite unfortunate. Um, but I feel like seeing the behind the scenes mm-hmm. process really helps me figure out what I need to communicate. Um, and, uh, typically a ranger will say like, okay, they were due out of, from the back from their hike at noon. 
let's give it about two two hours usually for maybe not like an hour long hike, but like you kind of adjust it. Like if they're camping or if you're like overnight, like usually two, someone is usually two hours past when they thought, and that's just because they get tired or take a break or catch a cool view. Like, so that's just kind of a, a not a rule of thumb, but kind of the guide what we go by, unless there's a known medical condition or there's no water or there's a thunderstorm coming, you know, and mm, sure. there's lots of different things that can factor into timing, but typically a ranger would be like, you sit with me and let's wait two hours. And they usually show up within that two hour window. Hmm. And then I have seen people who get separated on the trail. And these are just day hikers in a very busy national park. People get separated. I was like, okay, well, what was your plan? You know, no, there's no self-service of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, well, our plan was to rely on our cell phones. <laughs> and, um, then it's hard to keep them in, in the same. It's like, okay, well, if, the, if you're waiting for them here, you have to stay here. You can't get antsy and go for them, you know? And, um, we have rangers at this other trailhead, you know, we'll, everyone will be looking for them to make sure they didn't, co- they don't come out somewhere else. And sometimes it's really hard to be like, oh no, I'm going to go get my truck and go get them. And it's like, no, yeah. to stay in one spot. So, and then I've noticed, uh, my husband will ask people, it's funny. He, I, I don't want to say he does search and rescues from home, but sometimes he'll get a call on his work cell phone and, and have to talk to the reporting party. And one of the questions is asked, and this is really good. And I encourage everyone to have this conversation with your partner or a friend, <laughs> whether or not you're going to the back country, but what is your attitude toward risk? Which is huh. a very important question. They're going to say like, oh, if they see a snow field, are they going to cross it? Or are they going to turn around? You know, if, if they see, Fascinating. yeah, if they see lightning coming are they gonna keep do they have to get to the top of the mountain you know are they so determined they have to get to the top of that mountain or are they gonna turn around for safety like or if they see swift water are they gonna cross it because there's a trail on the other side or are they gonna look for a way across you know like what what are they gonna do and it's a very interesting question that sometimes turns a reporting party into a therapy session. Yeah. So interesting. Is this person risk um what's their attitude toward risk? It's just some also Carolyn, something what's yours? About. What's your attitude? What's my attitude risk? toward risk? I mm-hmm. always, always turn around and go home. <laughs> Same. <laughs> I, I always play it safe. I always stick to my plan. And that's not because I'm scared. It's just because it's not worth it to me. I know so many people who are achievement oriented. I have been 500 feet from a peak of a 14er and just been like, nope. Yeah. Um, Like I, I, I'm not doing it. I I think it was because a lightning storm was coming and I, I wasn't feeling well. And I was like, you know, I'm just gonna, this is a great view. I see. You know what? Yeah. Picture and quit while I'm ahead. Yeah. You know, I, I do turn around. Like sometimes it is just not worth it. Um, or gosh, my family was camping the other weekend. Um, uh, down near Las Cruces and the wind was so bad flapping against the tent, which is really scary for toddlers. And we were like, you know, we could, we could push through another night, but we have some friends in Las Cruces that we'd really want to visit. And we just went to their house and had a great time. And sometimes that can just be the best decision. So yeah, that, that'd be my attitude toward risk is, uh, Mm -hmm. don't do it. (laughs) Same Jody. What are you? I'm probably a little more towards like, Oh, it's just right there. Mm -hmm. I I have this fear of missing out. And if I've made it so far, I want to kind of, I will push it to the point where I do destroy things for my family. Like (laughs) I've pushed it too far for everyone and now everyone's miserable. So I'm learning. I need to probably move 
No, that's, that's Jody. That's why you and I are a good yin and yang, because I'm just like, I'm done. You know what? We can just call it a day. <laughs> Let's go to the brewery. <laughs> yeah. And I've had hikes where I've had friends or my husband like really push through my job. And I'm really glad I did it. You know, I don't want to say I, I always wuss out, but, um, I do. Yeah. I'm not ashamed yeah. to admit it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Caroline, this has been delightful to talk with you. I just, I feel like I've learned so much and I know that, um, people who are listening are going to learn a lot. So thank you so much for imparting your wisdom and spending the time with us. So happy to be here. Thank you for having me. your outdoor hero. We want to meet them. Share your outdoor enthusiasts and evangelists with us at wedothisforfun.com.